0: Suspense Suspense is compounded of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure stories calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves. Tonight, for instance, as we begin, you may want to ask yourself, how could a young lady, a bride, walk out on a balcony alone and vanish, completely vanish? We trust that while you are wondering how and why it was done, we shall keep you in suspense.
1: For Suspense, tonight CBS presents The Bride Banishes by John Dixon Carr.
0: Italy in springtime. Italy as we used to know it before the jackal struck. And the island of Capri... Twenty miles out across the Bay of Naples. Blue water a-dazzle under the sun. Behind through the bone-white beaches... and Vesuvius dull purple in a heat haze. Ahead, as the little steamer from Naples... chugs out across the bay... rises Capri. Olive trees and white roads... and vineyards above the cliffs. Could young Americans find a better place... to spend their honeymoon? While the guitars sing... And the warm winds blow, and the little steamer carries them. Well,
2: Mrs. Courtney.
3: Well, Mr. Courtney.
2: <laughs> I can't keep it up, Lucy. <laughs> I'm going to break down and ask if you're happy. Oh,
3: I'll break down, too. I want to walk up to everybody I meet and say, "We," just like that.
2: What I want to do is turn somersaults myself all along this deck here.
3: I want to say, I've been married to Tom Courtney for practically two weeks. And now we're going to have a villa at Capri for a month. Oh, Tom, I ought to be the happiest woman in the world. Only...
2: You shivered. What's wrong?
3: Well, ever since we got aboard this ship, people have been staring at me.
2: I can't blame them for that, dear.
3: No, no, I mean in a funny way. and, And muttering. Even your American friend... What's his name? Uh, Granger? Mr. Granger, when you introduced him to me at Naples, I thought his eyes were going to pop out.
2: Be careful. He's standing over by the rail now.
3: Oh.
2: He lives at Capri.
3: (laughs) I like to see him wearing that white ten-gallon hat in Italy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Before Granger made money in oil wells, he was a real old-fashioned cowpuncher. And he's proud of it. Good fellow, too.
3: He's too polite to say anything, but he keeps looking around at me, just the same as the rest of them do. Well? Well, Tom, they, they look scared.
2: You know, Lucy, this isn't the time to start imagining things.
3: I know. Well, maybe I'm just so happy I'm afraid it can't last.
2: Oh, don't say that.
3: But wouldn't it be pretty awful if something did happen and we weren't together any longer?
2: Wait a minute. Hasn't this ship stopped?
3: Yes. Well, it is Capri ahead of us, isn't it?
2: It can't be anything else. Well, it seems a funny place to stop. No sign of a harbor. Only rocks and little gray cliffs. Oh, Mr. Granger. Uh, Mr. Granger.
1: Yes, young fellow?
2: You happen to know why we're stopping here?
1: Oh, yes, that's an easy one, son. <clears throat> we're stopping so that uh, you and your good lady and anybody else who's curious can get a look at the blue grotto.
3: The oh. blue <laughs> grotto, of course. Now,
1: just uh, shave your eyes with your hand, ma'am. Uh, you see that, that tiny little arch under the cliff? Yes. And all the little white rowboats are coming out towards us? Yes. Now, when the first boat comes alongside, you climb down that iron ladder and get in. The boatman will row you out and through the arch into the grotto. It's a great big dark cavern. The water in there looks as though it's lit up underneath with blue fire. Would like to go out and see it, Lucy? Oh, I'd love to. But let me give you a little tip, though. The current's pretty fast out there. You'll go shooting under that arch like 60.
4: Are we likely to upset?
1: Oh, no. No, but the arch isn't as high as your head. When you see it coming, lie back flat in the boat. That is, unless you want your block, now, sure. Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Mr. Granger. We'll remember. Come along, Lucy. Easy on the ladder, Lucy. Don't look round yet.
3: Oh, I'm all right, darling. And just as good a swimmer as you are.
2: I'm in the boat now. Take one more step. Steady. There you are. now turn around facing the boatman and sit down here oh, beside me. Oh, oh. What's the matter with the boatman? Easy, man. Do you want to upset us? Sit down. You come back, yes. Come
3: back? Well, I've never been here before in my life.
2: Push off, man. Start rowing. The other boats are piling up behind you. You come back. Start rowing, can't you? And Ali Subito, basta!
3: Tom, he can't take his eyes off us.
5: I
2: wish he'd watch out where he's rowing.
5: You come to live at the Villa Borghese, yes? Tom, how did he know that? He's the lady. She is not dead. Dead?
2: Of course she's not dead. What are you talking about?
5: She never come to Capri before. Never. Then I tell you, she will disappear. Just like the other one. Disappear. I to my orders, and I tell you.
3: Tom, aren't we moving rather
5: fast? Yes, that's the entrance to the grotto ahead. Oh. I tell you. There was a lady, so much like you at all, carpeting back. Oh, it scared
2: me. Now look, old man, I don't want to teach you your business, but you've got your back to that grotto.
5: Oh, take it, this lady back where she come from. Do not take her to the Villa Borghese. Get down, Lucy. Flat on your back. Down! Oh. Signore, Signore, I am sorry. I almost make you get hurt.
2: You know, you nearly got your own head knocked
5: off. Excuse me, Nor. I am used to it. Now I will roll you round the blue grotto. I don't
3: think I like it much, Tom. Neither do I. Dark, except for that blue light under the water. Oh, transparent. You can see the fish swimming.
2: Uh, just a minute, Boatman. This lady who disappeared from the Villa Borghese Two, three
5: years ago, she disappeared.
2: You say she looked exactly
5: like my wife? Si, Signore. She was uh, going to be married. She was trying on a, what do you call, her wedding dress. Her mother and sisters, they were in the room with her. She walked out on a balcony over the sea. You know what I mean, on a balcony over the sea... Nobody ever hear of her again.
3: You mean she jumped over into the sea? Oh,
5: are a young girl going to be married? Kill herself? No, 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 no. And what did happen? Over oh, the back of her, I do not know. But sometimes they say you can meet her ghost in here. She float just under the water where you can see her and turn over and over. And the wedding veil is still round her face.
3: Tom, let's get out of here. You want to go? Yes.
5: Lucy, if this
2: fellow's stringing us along. He's
3: not stringing us along.
2: Then somebody ought to know what this means. If we've inherited a haunted balcony where people disappear like soap bubbles, I say it's too much. Let's get back to our ship and talk to Granger. Yes, boatman, take us back.
1: Mr. Granger, Mr. Granger. I'm ma'am. Oh. You too, young woman. Give me a hand, see.
3: Thank, dear. Oh, didn't anybody else go to the Blue Grotto?
1: Well, ma'am, no.
2: Not after they saw you go. It's all right. We've just heard the story, Mr. Granger.
1: Oh, I ought to have told you about it myself. All the way out here, I've been cussing myself and thinking what a nornery old badger I am for not telling you when I first met you in Naples. The girl did banish them. By a first-rate miracle, yes. In broad daylight and within 20 feet of her mother and sisters. You don't look like a man who'd believe in miracles, Mr. Granger. Oh, I'm not, son. I'm just telling you what happened. But why is everybody so excited? Somebody must have thrown her off the balcony. Josephine Adams was all alone on a balcony 40 feet up a cliff, smooth as glass. She didn't fall. She wasn't thrown because there was no sound of a splash. And she didn't come back from the balcony because her mother and sisters were in front of the only door. Yet, within 15 seconds, 15 seconds, mind you, she just vanished.
2: You believe that?
1: Sure, I believe it, son. Why, it's a fact.
3: Did you know the girls' family?
1: Oh, very well. We've got a real English-speaking colony here. Oh, by the way, in about half a minute now, I'm going to show you your new home.
3: Oh, can we see it here on the ship?
1: Oh, sure you can, ma'am. It's on the edge of the cliff. Dr. Davis' house is on one side of it, and my shack's on the other. Uh... That's why I want to ask you a question.
3: Of course. Ask anything you like. Well, I'm
1: an old stager, ma'am. And not exactly up to the high-toned society around here. But do you... Do you trust me?
3: Yes, I think so.
1: Well, then promise me something. Unless you're with somebody you do trust, keep away from that balcony. Do you honestly think there's danger or... I don't know, son. If
2: I did, I wouldn't have to talk this oh, way. Oh.
3: Sounds like a dog barking. I thought
6: I heard it before.
2: What is? A big police dog. And led by a very handsome woman, if you ask me. Oh, Lord, here she is again. Who? The Countess. She lives in our
1: colony.
3: She looks like an American. You take your eyes off her, Tom Courtney.
1: (laughs) She is an American. Married a Count Parchisi or something like that. (laughs) Just call her Nellie.
4: My
3: dear Mr. Granger. Hello, Nellie. It's true. Everybody told me so, but I couldn't believe it until I saw her. She does look exactly like poor Josephine Adams. Just as small, just as dainty. (laughs) Please, is everybody trying to give me the jitters?
1: Nellie, I want you to meet some friends of mine.
4: Oh, you
3: don't need to introduce me. I know who they are. You're the nice young couple who've taken that villa I'm Nellie Leccese. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, this is my dog, Tiberius. Named after the wicked Roman emperor. You know who used to live at Capri? I must confess, I'm terribly fascinated by wicked things. <laughs> uh, aren't you,
2: Mr. Courtney? Lucy, stop digging me in the ribs. I haven't done anything. No, and you're not going
3: to. Tiberius seems to have taken quite a <laughs> fancy to you, Mrs. Courtney. Oh. I've never known him to go to a stranger before. Well, I only wish I could borrow him. He might be a charm against... no, I don't know. We'll be at the harbor in a few minutes. Then you must let me drive you up to the villa. You won't be able to get any servants, I'm afraid, because they won't stay there. But you can camp out. Look, there's the villa. We're passing it now. Where? On the cliff, where I'm pointing.
2: Wait a minute. There must be some mistake. That's not the villa, Bougesi. It sure is, son. That's a palace like all the other houses there. And I rented it furnished for about $25 a month.
1: Can't you guess why you got it so cheap, son? If you take my advice, you'll turn around and go back to Naples by the next steamer.
4: Harry, Granger, don't be an idiot. Let's have some
3: excitement. Let's have some excitement. Tom, it's beautiful.
2: Too infernally beautiful, if you ask me.
3: There, there's the balcony. <coughs>
1: It's all right by daylight, son. Marble and tapestries and whatnot. But at night, when you've got to put out the lights, you start thinking what happened there. The
6: moon
0: over Capri... Makes a deathly daylight. You could see to read on that balcony if anyone went out there. Frosted glass doors open out on it from a big room on the ground floor. Two determinedly calm persons and a dog sit looking at each other. Lucy, stop it.
3: Stop what?
2: Stop looking over at that balcony. Oh,
3: I'm sorry, darling.
2: Why are we sitting here, anyway? There's an outer room that's much more comfortable.
3: It's like having a toothache, a very little toothache.
2: <laughs> I may be dense, Angel, but I, I don't follow you.
3: You put your tongue against the tooth to see if it'll hurt. You know it will hurt, but you go on doing it just the same. Well, that's us.
0: <sighs> Maybe you're right.
3: <laughs> oh, Tom, did you ever think we'd have a lovely house like this?
2: Yeah, the house is all right, yes. Then they have to go and spoil everything. Our honeymoon with this blasted Tommy rod Wait, about... Tom,
3: you're as jittery now as I was this afternoon. Oh, well, even Tiberius is jittery.
2: Yes, I guess I am. Easy, boy. Easy, easy.
3: Well, there's whiskey on the table. <laughs> they call it Beaky here. <laughs> Make yourself a drink.
2: Oh, hmm? um, In a minute. Not just now. Lucy, there's nothing wrong with that balcony. Suppose you walked out there this minute...
3: I've had a horrible longing to try it. Just because I know I shouldn't. But nothing
2: could attack you. All you'd have to do would be to yell. That'd bring Mr. Granger out on his balcony like a shot. And the neighbor on the other side of us would... Who is on the other side, by the way?
3: A loony doctor. A what? A specialist in brain diseases. Dr. Davis. He's English.
2: It's somebody in the other room. Easy, Tiberius. Easy, Tom. I'm afraid it's all right, darling. You hold Tiberius's collar while I open the door. We don't want him to fly at anybody. We're going into the other room and stay there. Ready?
6: Yes.
2: Uh, uh, good evening, Mister Courtney. Good evening, Missus Courtney. I, I'm no ghost, though you appear to regard me as one. I'm merely your neighbor. Dr Rutherford Davis
3: oh, oh y- y- yes, of-, of course, Mr. Granger mentioned you
2: i uh, i I trust you will pardon this intrusion. Uh, no one answered my knock, so i I ventured to come in. <laughs> it's no intrusion, Dr. Davis. We're a little uh, <laughs> disorganized here, that's all uh, naturally mr Courtney i I wish I could say welcome to Capri, but I have a very different message well. If you value Mrs. Courtney's life, you'll go back to Naples immediately, sir. Not you, too. I do not say that as a ghost hunter, sir. I say it as a medical man. Um, uh, May I sit down? Oh, of course, please do. Oh, thank you. We seem to be forgetting our manners. Uh, Dr. Davis, will you um, you have a drink? Oh, uh, thank you. Perhaps a small whiskey?
3: Uh, I'll get it, darling. You sit down and talk to Dr. Davis.
2: You're not going back into that room alone.
3: I'm only going to get the drinks, Tom. I promise to be good. And Tiberius can come with me. Can't you, Tiberius?
2: Oh, I see you've borrowed Tiberius from the Countess (laughs) Ducati.
3: Yes, she was kind enough to offer him. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Come on, Tiberius.
2: Hi. I hope this is all right, Doctor. No, sir. It is not all right. Your wife is in very great danger. But why? Because of that balcony? Uh, no. Because she looks exactly like the late Josephine Adams. I don't get it. Uh, Mr. Courtney, did you ever hear of paranoia? It's some kind of mental disease, isn't it? The paranoic begins by imagining that he or she is being persecuted by someone.
5: First, he hears things. A voice in his brain whispers... You'll be killed. You'll be killed. You'll be killed. He hears it in the
2: tick of a clock, in the rattle of a train, in the footsteps on the street. There are holes in the walls through which his enemy is always watching. Invisible speaking tubes bring
5: him messages. There are pains in his joints and nightmares of attempts to poison him. His brain bursts and he kills. He kills. He kills.
2: Huh. Well, Excuse me for speaking so strongly. <laughs> but how does this affect us? Uh, Mr. Courtney, will you uh, uh, will you examine this sheet of paper? What is it? The fragment of a typewritten diary. I found it on the cliffs months ago. Don't ask me who wrote it. But I know there's a criminal lunatic on this island. He imagined that poor, inoffensive Josephine Adams was his enemy. So he killed her. Killed her? How? Oh. I don't know. And what happened to the girl's body? <laughs> I'm not a detective, sir. The body was carried out to sea, perhaps, or washed along the cliffs and into the blue grotto to be lost. But don't you understand the danger to your wife? You're not suggesting that with somebody's cracked brain your wife is Josephine Adams, created all over again? Kill Lucy? It couldn't be done. It was done, my friend. Listen. That sounded like a dog howling. Mrs. Courtney is rather a long time in getting that whiskey. She wouldn't go near the balcony. She promised not to go out on the balcony. People do very perverse things, my friend, when they know they shouldn't. Lucy. Lucy! That seems to be Tiberius out on the balcony. I uh, I, I I can't see anything else from here.
6: She's gone. She's gone. She's gone.
0: An empty balcony. A howling dog and a sea turned clear silver under the moon. Then, after the tumult and the shouting, there are other pictures. Don't you hear the noise of that motor launch with a half-demented young man at the wheel? Three other familiar figures are gathered around it. Don't you recognize the brunette prettiness of Nellie Lucasa and the white ten-gallon hat of Harry Granger? and the neat, pointed beard of Dr. Davis.
3: But what on earth is he going to do out here in this motorboat?
1: I'd like to know that myself. Listen, please. All of you. Now, take it easy, son. We're with you. What time is it? Time? Yes.
2: What time is it? It's
3: half past two in the morning, going on for three.
2: Twelve hours. Then the tide ought to be just where it was this afternoon. What's the tag got to do with it? A whole lot. Somebody set a trap and made Lucy fall off that balcony. I know it.
3: Oh, that's absurd.
2: If Lucy's been carried out to sea, there's nothing we can do about it. But if she's been carried along with the current and into the blue grotto... That blue grotto. Uh, one moment, sir. You're not proposing to run this big launch under that arch after dark? Yes, Doctor. That's just exactly it.
3: Go on. Do it. I'll back you up. Let's have some excitement.
2: It'll be exciting enough, I assure you. Mr. Courtney, have you got some wild hope of recovering your wife's body? I've even got a wild hope she may be alive. Lucy's a very strong swimmer. You're acting like a nut, sir. Get set, everybody. I'm going to swing around.
3: We're in the carrot now. Better hold tight.
2: I've got to duck my own head when we go through. Everybody else, squat down. I still protest against this. Don't you understand, Mr. Carter? Get ready.
7: Here
1: we go.
4: What on earth is wrong? There's no blue grotto. It's as black as pitch.
2: My dear Nelly, I kept trying to tell all of you. The blue grotto effect is caused by the sun's rays. There never is one except when the sun is out. Uh, just how does our friend propose to find anything in here? Listen.
3: Something got hold of the side of the boat. I... I felt it move.
2: Not the date girl, I trust. There's a hand here. A wet hand. Lucy! She's not... Alive. Mr. Granger, help me lift her up over the side. Easy, easy now. Don't tip the boat. Oh, Lucy. Lucy, are you all right? Don't Are you all right, Lucy? Can you hear me?
3: All right. I'm just exhausted. I got in here. Couldn't swim out against the current.
2: Now don't try to talk.
3: I've got to talk. I'm going to faint. Tom, who's
2: with you? Only our friends. Who's with you? Is the murderer with you? I was just wondering the same thing. To be shut up in the dark at three o'clock in the morning with a criminal lunatic.
6: <laughs> Who spoke, then?
2: Now, Lucy, don't hold me so tight. Let go, you? I'll get the boat started and have you out of here in a second. Who spoke, then? Only Dr. Davis.
3: Tom, I've got to tell you. I know how that girl, Josephine Adams, died. Almost killed me.
2: Has anybody here got some brandy? Or a flashlight? I have a flashlight, my friend. Will you allow me as a medical man to examine Mrs. Courtney? you better keep back with just a second, Doctor. She's hysterical. Give me the flashlight, please.
3: I walked into the other room. Nobody with me. All alone except Tiberius. Yes, Lucy. Somebody called my name. From the balcony, I thought. Very softly. Mrs. Courtney said, Mrs. Courtney.
2: Did you recognize the voice?
3: Yes. That's why I went. Hadn't you better start up this boat and get out of here. Don't
2: pay any attention to them, Lucy. Nobody can hurt you now.
3: I went out on the balcony. It was bright moonlight. Brightest day. But there was nobody there.
2: Nobody on the balcony?
3: no. I looked out over the sea. And then something came at me. Something flew out of the air and came at me. Just
2: one moment before Mrs. Courtney goes on. Is anybody in this boat carrying a revolver? Not that I know of. Excuse my mentioning it. But I felt something. Metal. Like a revolver. uh, brush past my hand. Oh, it was
3: only the flashlight.
2: Excuse me, it was not a flashlight. Mr. Courtney's got the flashlight. Would you please let Lucy go on and finish Lucy, you were on the balcony and something came at you.
3: Yes, like a snake, sideways, out of the air. It went over my head, fastened around my neck. It was a rope with a running noose in it. A rope? That's it, a rope. It was thrown from another balcony. I'm small and light, like Josephine Adams. It pulled me sideways and over the rail. I fell.
2: I think I begin to understand what... You
3: couldn't see what happened to Josephine Adams. Frosted glass doors to the balcony. So they couldn't see.
2: I take it easy now. You're perfectly safe. Is she perfectly safe?
3: The murderer let her fall on the rope. But the rope was jerked tight long before she struck the water. That broke her neck. Then the murderer lowered her softly.
2: So there wasn't any splash. And the current took her away, rope and all.
3: That's it. It would have happened to me. Only the rope must have slipped through the murderer's fingers.
2: Through whose fingers? What did I tell you? Somebody in this boat has got a revolver. Who's overboard? Somebody went. Switch on that light, my friend, and shine it on the water. All right, Doctor. There's your light. Look at it turning o- over and over. The water in the blue grotto is red now.
3: Tom. Stay close
2: to me. Oh, it's all right, Lucy. I swear you're safe enough now. Did he shoot himself? Yes. Did who shoot himself? Who had a balcony exactly like ours on the house next door? Who began life as a cowpuncher and would have known how to use a lasso? Yes, and knew Josephine Adams well. And
5: got it into his maniac's head that Mrs. Courtney was Josephine Adams
2: all over again. Harry Granger. Look. There's his ten-gallon hat floating away.
0: And so ends The Bride Vanishes, a story of mysterious doings in the Isle of Capri, and tonight's story of Suspense. Columbia presents these tales of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there'll be another in this series. Same hour, 9.30 Eastern Wartime. William Spear, the producer, John Dietz, the director, Alexander Semler, the composer, conductor, and John Dixon Carr, the author, are collaborators on... Suspense.
5: Suspense.
0: Tonight, Columbia brings you as a guest star, Peter Lorre, one of the screen's past masters of the art of suspense. Suspense is compounded of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure. In this series are stories calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. Tonight, for instance, Mr. Lorry plays for us a doctor, a husband, with something dark and terrible on his mind. Was it murder? And if so, can this at last be the really perfect crime... We trust that while you are wondering, we shall keep you in suspense.
7: For Suspense Tonight, CBS presents Till Death Do Us Part by John Dixon Carr, starring Peter Laurie.
0: Late one night in December of 1941, a man and his wife sat beside the fire in their country cottage. This man, look at him, a professor of mathematics, stout, and middle-aged, guileless as a child, (laughs) in the remote corner of England where he lives with his pretty English wife. They say of him... Jolly decent fellow, you know, for a foreigner.
4: Isn't he? Always a smile for everybody, and so polite. That's why it's such a shame about his wife and that young American. There hasn't been anything between them yet, I'm almost sure. But if the American stays here much longer... I tell you.
0: Happy man, this Professor Kraft. His cottage in the country is rather isolated, three miles from the nearest house, no electricity or central heating or telephone. And on December nights like this, a great wind comes rushing off the Sussex Downs. It rattles at the windows, growls in the chimney, and makes unsteady the oil lamp on the table. Professor Irwin Kraft sits before the fire in a snug book lined room. And across from him, sewing, sits his young wife, Cynthia. A domestic scene. A very domestic scene. Oh, my pet, this is wonderful, isn't it? Oh. So nice and cozy. <laughs> ah, how I enjoy our little home. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be indoors on a night like this, isn't it? Yes. Did my darling have a good day?
3: Just about as usual.
0: No adventures, huh?
3: Not exactly. I walked into the village.
0: Walked? Oh, I really blame myself for burying you out here. I ought to get your car.
3: That's not necessary, thanks.
0: Come now, come. Did something happen to upset my little pet today?
3: (laughs) No, no,
0: no. You know, darling... I look at you and I marvel.
3: You marvel at what?
0: At a wife who can actually blush. Yes. With a skin so fair. And a conscience so transparent that she can actually blush.
3: I wasn't blushing about...
0: About what?
3: About anything you might be thinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's your horrible habit of putting everybody else in the wrong.
0: Oh, but the neighbors don't think that about Papa Croft.
3: Neighbours don't have to live with you. I do.
0: And you mustn't scratch either. Not when we are so snug here, so cozy. And a kettle on the fire is nearly boiling. And no rum is ready. And the lemon juice and the sugar for her medicine.
3: Oh, and must I drink that stuff? I don't like rum.
0: But you have a cold, darling. I
3: haven't got a cold. Really, I haven't.
0: Now, darling, twice today I heard you cough. Uh, You are going to take your medicine, Cynthia, and take it here and now and not offend your clumsy old husband by refusing.
3: Why do you keep on treating me like a girl of 16?
0: I love to treat you like that, Cynthia, because, uh, because I cannot fathom your thoughts. You lock up your thoughts, and that is a dangerous English habit. You see, thoughts accumulate and won't be stifled. And sooner or later, when you least expect it... Well,
3: look out. The kettle's boiling over.
0: So it is.
3: Oh, and please lift it down from there.
0: Of course. of I apologize. I apologize, my darling. There.
3: For a second, you know. You almost frightened me.
0: Huh? <laughs> I frightened you?
3: I suppose it's foolish.
0: Well, here we are, my dear. Here we are. Now, see, I've put two tumblers on the coffee table. And now, a spoon in each, so that the heat doesn't crack them.
3: My oh dear, must you give me so much rum? Can't I have the small one?
0: But we have to cure that cold of yours, Cynthia. <laughs> now comes the lemon juice. Yes. And now comes hot water to the top. <laughs> Here we are. And two lumps of sugar for each of us. There you are, darling. Now let's drink up, huh? Owen, listen. I didn't hear anything.
3: I did. It it came from that cupboard over there. It sounded like your accordion. Oh,
0: that's nonsense, darling. That's nonsense.
3: <gasps> there. There it is again.
0: Well, that's only the wind. Or... Or perhaps a rat that got into the cupboard.
3: Irwin, I'm terrified of rats. Go and kill it. Would you mind?
0: Oh, you really sit very heavy labors, my sweet, for one of my weight. Well, well, if you insist, all right, all right. Well, I'll take a good heavy poker from the fireplace. And, of course, it means a little trip to the cupboard.
3: Irwin, never mind.
0: You haven't changed your mind, have you?
3: It'd probably run out across the floor. Come back.
0: Wouldn't run very far, I'm sure. Well, (laughs) again, if you insist. I
3: can't think what's the matter with me tonight. No? No.
0: You're sure nothing upset you in the village today, huh?
3: Certainly not.
0: How about uh, this young American, that uh, fledgling doctor? What's his name? Do you mean Dr. Craig? That's it, Dr. Craig. Dr. Craig. Didn't someone say he was leaving today for London and and then back to the States?
3: I believe so. That's what Lady Randolph told me.
0: And you didn't say goodbye to him?
3: Certainly not.
0: Wow, that wasn't kind of you, darling. That wasn't friendly. What's the matter? Don't you like my nice hot run drink?
3: No. But you would give me no... Peace till I do drink
0: it. That's right, darling, that's right. Now, take it down like a good girl. I'm keeping you company. See? Oh, how pretty she looks with her yellow hair in the firelight and her red mouth and her light little hands. Very pretty. Oh, uh, there is just one other thing, Cynthia. I, I gave you a letter to post this afternoon. Did you post it? Yes. Registered. Yes. And uh, did you notice to whom the letter was addressed?
3: Everybody notices the address on an envelope. It was to Sir Mr. Hatherby at Market Shepherd. That's right. But I I don't know who he is, if that's what you mean.
0: Oh, Mr. Hatherby is uh, is the coroner of this district. The coroner? That's right. That's right. But
3: is there any reason why you should be writing letters to the coroner?
0: Well, (laughs) there will be tomorrow morning. We have been just drinking poison, my love. Why did you drop your glass, Tony? Uh,
3: <laughs> I don't believe you.
0: No? <laughs> uh, this will interest you, Cynthia. You were a trained nurse, and weren't you? Uh, you see, the poison was aconite, mung No. Yes? Home grown in our own little garden. You know, one-sixteenth of a grain has been a fatal dose.
3: There's no telephone here. No car, not even a neighbor.
0: Exactly, my angel.
3: Take your hands off me. L- let me get up.
0: No, my let pet. In about five minutes, you see, the the first symptoms will come on. Symptoms? Yes. Our throats will grow dry. <laughs> Our eyesight will turn dim. No. And presently, we'll lose the use of our limbs. Well, there are convulsions before the end, I believe, but we won't feel them.
6: Let me up.
0: If if you try to hit at me, Angel, you'll upset that lamp. And, well, if you upset the lamp, this cottage would go up like tinder. We don't want to burn to death, do we?
3: Irwin, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it?
0: Why? Do you think all Papa Kraft is blind, my pet? Huh? If I can't have you, Cynthia, nobody else is going to have you.
3: You mean Jim Craig?
0: So it is Jim Craig.
3: That was nothing. My tongue slipped.
0: A cynic would say, my dear, that your foot slipped. Do you think I don't know what happened the other night at the schoolhouse? Schoolhouse? Yes, the Market Shepherd Schoolhouse. At Lady Randolph's little concert in aid of the war relief.
3: Nothing happened. I swear it didn't. No? No.
0: Oh, then it was coincidence, I suppose, that you and that Dr. Craig didn't arrive until the concert was nearly over. Yes.
3: Yes, it was. We didn't go there together. No? We met in the little hall outside the auditorium. It was just as you were finishing your number on the accordion.
7: Oh, I beg your pardon. It's so dark here, I almost bumped into you. Isn't that Mrs. Craig?
3: Yes. Good evening, Dr. Craig.
7: We... We seem to be late.
3: Very late, I'm afraid.
7: I... I was detained on a case.
3: Then I didn't feel like coming here at all.
7: Oh, just a moment before I open that door for you. Won't it look a little funny, our arriving here together?
3: Funny? Why should it?
7: I... No reason at all, only Cynthia listen to me.
3: Do you know, Dr. Craig, that's the first time you've ever called me by my first name.
7: I did want to have a word with you, somehow. Of course, you've heard the news. What news? On the radio for the past couple of days.
3: We're too far out to get much news, and my husband isn't interested.
7: He isn't interested? He isn't interested in anything but himself. I...
3: Rather, you didn't talk that way about my husband. I'm sorry. Would you push the door open a little? And
4: in conclusion... Lady Randolph is saying something. I'm sure we've all enjoyed our friend Professor Croft's musical numbers on the accordion. And the vicar's conjuring tricks. (laughs) And little Miss Linshaw's spirited recitations. It only remains for me to tell you that the collection for this little entertainment will amount to this. Yes, Colonel Thompson, what is it?
3: Colonel Thompson's going across the platform in rather a hurry. Looks like an announcement of some kind.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, your attention. We have just received some late news by the nine o'clock bulletin. I
7: think I can guess what it is.
4: Following yesterday's declaration against Japan, the Congress of the United States today declared war against Germany and Italy. No applause, please. I think I can say that these things go too deep for applause. We entered a war lightly, and we have learned. But before the vicar ends this meeting, I shall ask the orchestra to play us the song numbered 83 in the book, a song we know is dear to the hearts of all Americans.
7: The door, Cynthia.
3: Jim, this doesn't affect you.
7: Naturally, it does.
3: You won't be leaving England.
7: Probably in a very short time. You'll be needing doctors.
3: But does a formal declaration of war make any difference? What does it mean to you?
4: What does it mean? I
7: I can't explain it, Cynthia. It's all in that song. They're going to need me. I'll go back.
4: But
3: can't you do just as much good here in England?
7: I don't know. That depends on what the army says.
3: And doesn't anything depend on what I say?
7: We haven't got much time, Cynthia. That crowd will be out in a minute. Yes. And we won't admit it, will we? Admit what? Admit how we feel about each other. I haven't said... Nor I. I was only talking about... What we were thinking.
3: No, we won't admit it. You say you can't explain about the war. I can't explain about this.
7: Don't try. It's better this way.
3: Erwin's been very good to me. He's such a childlike person.
7: Yes, everybody likes him.
3: Oh, he has his tempers and he's not easy to live with sometimes, in spite of what they think. But I can't do anything to hurt him, because he'd never do anything to hurt me. Never. Never. Never in the world.
0: A very fair estimate of my character, too.
3: That's exactly what I said about you.
0: So you are in love with that fellow?
3: I admit it now. Yes.
0: Tell me, darling, do you feel anything yet?
3: Feel anything?
0: I mean, uh, dryness, muscular contraction of the throat. Yes. Oh, I thought so.
3: I won't die.
0: And I won't. And how do you propose to stop yourself? <laughs> Your only chance would be to reach the village infirmary, and I'll see to it that you don't get there.
3: But what if the poison takes you before it takes me? Then you can't stop me.
0: But it won't, darling.
3: You seem terribly sure of that.
0: You see, the amount I gave you, as you perhaps noticed, was more than I gave myself. I'm going to follow you, my little pet, into the dark, where there are no Dr. Jim Craigs. But not too quickly. I shall still have most of my faculties, Cynthia, when your convulsions are already beginning.
3: Oh. I wonder if you will.
0: Why do you say that?
3: Your legs don't seem any too steady. Uh.
0: I don't know. It must be the heat of uh, the fire, perhaps, or it's very hot in his room. Cynthia, Cynthia, darling, listen to me. Yes, Irwin. There, There is a copy of, uh, of Taylor's medical jurisprudence on the... There, over on the shelf there. Please, uh, please get it for me.
3: I'm afraid you'll have to get it for yourself, my dear. That is, if you can.
0: Oh, uh, I'll get it. Uh, I'll...
3: Mind the lamp, Irwin. We don't want the house afire, just as you said yourself.
0: I'll mind the lamp. Uh, listen to me. You know, some people's systems aren't tolerant to poisons. They, they experience in minutes what ought to take hours.
4: Does it hurt, Irwin? Does it hurt? <clears throat>
0: But you'll find out soon enough, my pet. Because... Because you'll never make three miles to the village. Never.
4: You think not?
0: I know it. And... And just remember... I... I shall be waiting. Waiting? Out in a dark and cold... Where there is neither marriage nor giving in in marriage. I'll be waiting for my little pet to come and join me. I I shall be waiting.
3: Irwin. Irwin. Oh. I hate you. I loathe you. I'm afraid of you. But I don't want you to die because of me. And and yet, you are dead, Irwin. But I'm not going to join you. I've never prayed much, Irwin, but I'm praying now. Whatever comes over my wits and makes my senses weak, give me strength enough to get to the village. Just give me strength strength enough to get to the village.
0: An empty room now, except for the motionless figure by the fire. The great wind enters through an open front door and makes the lamp shake dangerously on the tables. The whole house creaks.
5: Otherwise, it is very quiet. Suddenly, the corpse sits up. Professor Kraft looks pleased, doesn't he? Very
0: pleased, very alert, as he moves over to a certain cupboard door. <laughs> well, and now I think the real fun can begin. <laughs> Patience, 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 my friend, while I open the cupboard door. (laughs) Well, there we are. I hope you haven't been too uncomfortable, Dr. James Craig. I'm all right, thanks. So you managed to get the gag out of your mouth, huh? I managed it, yes, just now. (laughs) I'm too late. Well, you are still securely tied up, I'm glad to think. You know, you gave me several very, very unpleasant moments, young man, when you, when you got your foot on that accordion. Did I? Well, Cynthia thought you were a rat and wanted me to kill you. You know, she shows very good sense sometimes. I could hear both
7: of you talking. Thanks very much.
0: Oh, of course you could. Of course. Excuse me, please. I, I forgot that. Yes, and I could see you, too, through a crack in the door. Well, well you were intended to see us. But now, come on. First of all, I'll drag you out of here. Yes, I'll let me take you. Yes. Now we can sit down and have a nice, cozy little chat. Huh? How much aconite did you give Cynthia? How much? Oh, about uh, two grains. Two, Two grains? Well, then she can't possibly... No, she can't possibly live until morning. But... She can live long enough to testify that she saw me die. And how much poison did you take yourself?
5: I?
7: None. None at all? No. None at all. But you mixed those drinks out of the same materials I saw you do. It.
0: Well, but there wasn't any poison in the rum, young man. You see, two lumps of sugar steeped in aconite were dropped into Cynthia's glass. I marked them. And I didn't make a mistake. Can you see the beginnings of Croft's plan? Why, you... You see, uh, Cynthia left the door open, my friend. And there is a very strong wind blowing tonight. Well? Just observe how it lifts the table covers, flutters the magazines, makes the lamp tremble. I shouldn't be surprised, you know, if, uh, if one of those lamps blew over. A fine crash in a sheet of flame. Huh? And when they come here tomorrow morning, after Cynthia's testimony and my letter to the coroner, they'll expect to find at least a, at least a few charred bones among the ruins. And, of course, they must find some remains. Whose remains? Yours. <laughs> yes, you've got me tied up pretty well, haven't you? And now, you see, <laughs> now comes the best. You were last seen going towards the railway station, to London, and then to America. Nobody, nobody will inquire after you. Except Cynthia. That's right, except Cynthia, who will be dead. That I waylaid you and brought you here while Cynthia was in the village will not be known to our good coroner, and I shall disappear. What do you think of it, young man? Huh? I think it's rather good, huh? You're... You're going to let me burn to death. Yes, and I shall enjoy the necessity. By the way, too bad you missed my performance at Lady Randolph's concert. It was very nice. But uh, then I think you were otherwise occupied. You could call it that. Occupied, I think, in making love to my wife. You hurt my vanity, young man. And you are going
5: to suffer for it.
0: I never made love to your wife. No? No. But I don't suppose you could possibly believe that. Are you already begging for mercy? Now, come on, now, come on. Are you begging for mercy? No, I think not. Dr. Craig, I don't like the way you're taking this. I really don't. Don't you? No. You ought to be afraid. All decent men should be afraid. And no man is heroic when he sees death coming. But you are as white as a plate. You can't take your eyes off me. And you seem to be expecting something. Maybe I am expecting something. You are? Well, (laughs) I think I can persuade you to tell me what's on your mind, my friend. If I use the poker out of the fire, huh? You see, you see, I'm a mathematician. I leave nothing to chance.
7: Do you hear that, Professor Kraft?
0: A car has stopped out in front. Well, they won't
7: come in here. But of course they will. It's probably the home guard. Look, you fool, you've left the front door standing wide open in
0: a blackout. Don't be childish. Do you think to upset me with that? Something's upset you. Take a look at yourself in a mirror. Huh? Nothing, nothing can upset my plans now. Everything is ready. My clothes and my money are in a stable. This place, this pretty little cottage, will be a furnace. All I have to do is... <laughs> All I have to do is pick up that lamp... You see, like this, and uh,
6: something is wrong with me. Oh, you're not acting this time, are you? You're not pretending now. You, you swine! What have you done to me? I have done nothing. To you. you, you have done something to me. I, I can feel it. There, there is sweat all over me. My, my throat's choking. That, that sounded like
7: like my wife's voice. It was Cynthia's voice. What is wrong with you? A person would think
4: you were drunk. I'm sorry, Lady Randall, stopping me in the road and asking to be taken to the infirmary at 80 miles an hour, and then finding there was nothing wrong with
6: you. Oh, but, but it can be. It, it is isn't impossible. Oh, but it is.
7: You see, your plans didn't include the fact that Cynthia doesn't like rum. Mm. Remember, you poured a very large drink for her and a small mm. one for yourself. Yes. And you filled both glasses with hot water. Yes. Oh, remember when she got, got you to leave her and come over to this cupboard? Yes. She changed the glasses then. You're the one who swallowed the poison, two grains of aconite.
6: No, no. help me, please, help me.
7: Nothing on earth can save you.
6: Help me, Please. In the name of Philip, please, please, please help me. Nothing on earth can save please. you. Please, no, you won't. Then, then I'll show you. I'll, I'll take you with me. I'll take everybody with me. Where are you going? I'll, I'll get that lamp. I'll take you with me. I'll look at you. You can't even see. You're blind. You're staggering straight into that cupboard. I'll I'll take you! I'll take you with me! (laughs) I'll see you! Uh, uh. Jim. Jim, what are you doing here?
7: Come in, Cynthia. Come in and take a look at the man who died twice.
0: (laughs) And so ends Till Death Do Us Part. Starring Peter Lorre. Tonight's story of Suspense. Columbia presents these tales of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there'll be another in this series, same hour, 9.30 Eastern Wartime. Mr. Laurie was starred as Professor Kraft. He was supported by Alice Frost as Cynthia, David Gothard as Dr. Craig, and Mercedes McCambridge as Lady Randolph. William Speer, the producer, John Dietz, the director, Bernard Herman, the composer-conductor, and John Dixon Carr, the author, are collaborators on... Suspense.
2: This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.